this one. Earth, Good morning. Uh, before we begin our sermon this morning, I have a few announcements to share with you. Uh, the first is a reminder that we have uh, our trunk or treat coming up. Um, this is going to be on October 28th. All right, oh, October 28th. I was looking to the right people to get a head nod. Um, October 28th, we're going to have it here at the church building. There will be banners that go up uh, on Monday. Uh, John Germain has been working on a semi-permanent uh, signage uh, location for us, and uh, uh, you'll be able to see it. People will be able to know that it's coming up, but that means because we're planning to have a trunk or treat, we need trunks for kids to treat at, and so uh, I want to encourage you to sign up to be a part of our trunk or treat. We will also have our chili cook-off afterward. Uh, you are welcome to bring something other than chili, but if you bring something other than chili, we're not going to let you compete in the chili cook-off. So if if it's deemed a soup, uh, we're not going to call it a chili. You know, that's uh, a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm going to disqualify everyone else's chili based on calling it a soup. That's my plan to win this year. Um, <laughs> I'm plotting and scheming. I apologize. Um, there's also a dessert sign-up in the back. Uh, the, you know, if you want to bring a dessert, you're welcome to sign up. We want to make sure that we know who all plans to bring a dessert so that if not enough people sign up, we can supplement it with other things. Uh, but if you think you have a pretty fantastic dessert that you'd like to share with the congregation, sign up and bring it along with you. Um, so there's our uh, trunk or treat announcement. Oh, and we need candy donations. See, I have the best source of information right on the front row here. Uh, we need candy donations. So if you would like to bring candy for us to give to the kids as they come to the trunks, uh, but maybe you don't want to decorate a trunk, or maybe you do, Bring candy to the church building. We will make sure it gets evenly divided amongst those who come uh, to, to participate as trunks, and uh, we'll have a prize for best decorated trunk as well. And so uh, two, two prizes that evening, encouraging you to come and uh, be involved and bless our community with that. Uh, I also want to remind you that we have a luncheon today for those who are new members over the last year or guests over the last year. So if you're here as a guest today and you've never been before, congratulations, we're going to feed you lunch if you want to stick around. Uh, at 12.30, uh, we'll be up in the fellowship hall. Uh, we're going to have some food and uh, just an opportunity to ask some questions, get to know people, uh, and fellowship a little bit. Members, uh, you, you, are, you are not invited to this particular lunch. We'll have one for you in the future, but uh, this is specifically for new members and guests. Um, then I'm supposed to have a third announcement, and I'm forgetting what it is. So it's probably not that important, or it's really important, and I'm going to hear it from whoever it's really important to. Uh, let's go ahead and move into our sermon, and if the announcement pops into my mind, I'll let you know what it is. I should have written it down. All right. Uh, this morning, we are talking about, uh, again, the chore list. If you remember last week, I pointed out to us that uh, one of the things that people sometimes get wrong is they think that chores are like a punishment, right? Especially when you're a kid, when your parents ask you to do your chores, you feel as though my parents are mean and cruel and despotic dictators who want me to like, be miserable in life. Once you become a parent, you come to the realization that chores are a basic necessity for those living in the household to maintain the peace and, and hopefully the prosperity of the household, right? Um, when you have a chore, it is not a sign of someone wanting to, you know, be cruel to you. It's a sign that you belong. 
if your name is on the chore list, if you have a role to play in the household, it's home. You don't tell a guest to do chores in, unless you don't want them to come back as a guest, right? Uh, you have chores when it's your own house. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some different chores that people might play or have to do uh, within the body of Christ. And, and I want to start this morning by telling you the, the passage we're looking at is sometimes the place where a lot of people stop when they think of the chores in the church, it's a series of roles that people play, uh, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate because it's not a particularly long list, and if you've ever been behind the scenes in church ministry, you realize that this is like the bottom 3% of the things that need to happen for a church to function. Uh, maybe, maybe you put it at the top 3% or somewhere in the middle, but it's, it's not the stuff that's the most important part, but it is significant and important, and I want to I be clear on that. Um, I don't want to minimize the things that we're going to talk about this morning because I think they are important roles, but they're not, I don't think to Paul, the primary work of the church. When we talk about ministry, I think the church has two different types of ministries. There's the ministry to the church. It's, it's what I think I'm doing this morning. It's ho- hopefully what I'm doing this morning. It's what our elders do on a regular, ongoing basis. Both, I think, important roles to have, uh, to shepherd and guide and care for the body of Christ, to encourage, to edify, to build up. Those are important things. But there's also the ministry of the church. The ministry that is to the world, to the lost, to the people that we encounter on a daily basis. And both of these are essential. And I think, I want to be clear, Paul is going to tell us that one of these is essential for the other to happen, but the other one is the ministry of the church, not the ministry to the church. All right? And so this morning, I want you to have those two paradigms in mind there's ministry to the church the building up and equipping of the saints for the good works that God has prepared for us. And then there's the ministry of the church, those same good works that we've been built up and prepared for. It's a very small group of people that do this first job, I think. It's not to say that not everyone in the church could do this job, but it's it's a smaller portion of the body. And again, I don't want to minimize it. I, I think it's an important role, or I would not have set myself to at least one of these roles on the, the, the list. But I want us to recognize that it is, it is a group of roles. It is not the entire work of the church. All right? Okay, all the preamble out of the way. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children." We're going to do some exegesis this morning. I want, to, I want to look at this passage, and I want to talk about what Paul is actually saying here. Sometimes when Paul writes lists, we kind of go into like autopilot mode, and we read through the list, and we're like, well, I'm glad I got that out of the way. Now I'm to the content, the meat, right? Uh, here's this long list of all the different deplorable sins that a person might participate in. And so we read through them, and we're like, yep, I got all those, and we miss like the gossip right in the middle, right? 
If only Paul would just get to the point and tell us the good stuff over here. But these lists are essential to understanding the theology of Paul, to understanding the work of the church, to understanding the morality that Christians are committing to, the understanding of what it is we've put behind us. And when Paul enumerates these individuals, I think he's being fairly specific for some really important reasons. He begins by talking about apostles. So if you were to like highlight in your Bible this passage, there's a few things that you might start with. These are the, the individuals that Paul is calling out in this particular section. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now we look at this and we, we kind of feel like maybe they're a little opaque. What does it mean for someone to be an apostle or prophet or evangelist or shepherd or teacher? In fact, a lot of these have some overlap. I think that's actually kind of intentional. intentional. Paul is uh, not necessarily trying to, to tell us that every single one of these is a separate role. Sometimes a person might be a shepherd who's also a teacher. In fact, it's often encouraged within Scripture that the shepherds be good teachers as well. And within the church, we constantly talk about how pastors, elders, shepherds should be good teachers. So why would you have shepherds and teachers on the same list? Why would you have evangelists and apostles on the same list? I want to talk a little bit about that for a moment because sometimes even apostle is a difficult word for us. There is a group of men within scripture that are called the apostles. These are the men that walked with Jesus, who who saw him perform his miracles, who heard him teach, who watched him interact with people on a regular daily basis over the course of about three years. And then there's Paul. And Paul had an encounter with Jesus where he was called specifically to this role. Paul was called to minister to the Gentiles. He was called to be an apostle for the church. He was called and sent with a message. That's a distinct group of people within the church. Not everyone is one of the apostles. But there were people outside of that group that Scripture refers to as apostle as well. I want to talk about one in particular this morning. Uh, In a few weeks, I think Kyle might bring him up in another series. But uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 14, I believe it is, we read about Barnabas and Paul And together they are referred to as apostles. And the question is, if Paul is an apostle and Barnabas is an apostle, but Barnabas is not one of the apostles because he wasn't one of the twelve, what is Scripture referring to him as an apostle for? There are other instances, if you read the end of the book of Romans and you take a look at a long list, uh, depending on your translation, it might talk about Junia, who is outstanding among the apostles or well-known to the apostles, depending on your translation. The suggestion being that she's part of a particular group that is recognized as significant within the church, and it's possible that she was given what we might call an apostolic role. What is, what's being implied there? What is the suggestion that's being made? I want to tell you this morning, I think that apostle, when it's not being used to refer to one of the the apostles, is a missionary sort of mindset. Someone who specifically is sent with a message. That's 
literally what apostle means. It's, it's an individual who carries a message to another place. Paul was an apostle, but he was also one of the apostles. If you read the book of Acts, one of the things that you see is that Paul is constantly surrounded with other individuals traveling alongside him, and Barnabas is specifically one of these individuals. Sometimes when we read in Scripture about the apostles versus apostles, what we're looking at, I think, is a suggestion of a specific role for a specific time, but also another group of individuals who are a part of the ministry of the church, ministry to the church, who have a missionary impulse, individuals sent with a message, maybe a specific message for a specific time and place. And Paul makes it clear that there are some who are given to be apostles for the equipping of the body so that we might attain to full maturity. There are people and places that need a missionary mindset from a member of the church. I know this sounds a little bit radical because usually when we read the word apostle, we're thinking of the apostles. But scripture doesn't always use that term in that way. Otherwise, we've got to start enumerating Barnabas as one of the apostles, and uh, I, I don't think most of us are ready to do that talks about prophets. Now, when we think of prophets, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who is, you know, holding their hands to their head and, and starts talking about on January 25th, 2029, uh, Sean Jones is going to win the lottery. And that's a shock to, yeah, that's a shock to Sean because I don't think Sean plays the lottery, but, you know, congratulations, Sean. Um, here's the deal. Prophetic teaching in the Old Testament and New Testament times was not about predicting the future. It was not about looking forward and trying to anticipate some great revelation that's going to happen. It's, it's, not, it's not fortune telling. And sometimes we look back into the Old Testament and we see that at times the prophets had these dramatic revelations that they themselves could not explain, although oftentimes those revelations had a contemporary meaning. Something that was going to happen soon, a way in which God was going to respond to the behavior of his people or call them to do something that they weren't currently doing. It was powerful teaching that encouraged people to live in light of the situation that they found themselves in and their relationship with God. That's what prophecy was. But we all know if we open up the book of Matthew and we read through the book of Matthew, we're going to find a lot of times where Matthew quotes one of the prophets, and he says, this was done to fulfill what the prophet said. Or Jesus himself might even say, I have come to fulfill the law and prophets. And what we immediately assume is that all of the work that the prophets ever did was just to talk about Jesus. Now, I want to be clear. Every work that the uh, prophets did over the course of the Old Testament was ultimately pointing toward its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. But there was immediate, important, significant teaching that people needed to apply in their lives at that time. And the book of Acts tells us over and over again that there were prophets in the early church, but they weren't making prophecies about far-ranging things that they couldn't possibly see or understand themselves. They were providing teaching to God's people that was urgent and necessary, given the situation that they found themselves in in the light of the relationship that they had with God. That's what 
prophetic teaching is. And I'm not suggesting this morning that we have a bunch of prophets in our midst, but I think sometimes because we've had a very 21st century mindset, or 20th century mindset, or actually if we really want to go back, like an 1800s mindset about what a prophet is, we've kind of neglected this idea that there are some people that can speak in powerful ways to the situations that we find ourselves in now for the benefit of the kingdom of heaven with applicable teaching that addresses who we are and how we respond to the situations we find ourselves in. That's the role of a prophet in the church. Does the church need people to be able to speak to the situation we're in and encourage us to act in appropriate ways according to the will of God and the reality of our participation in his household? I think we do. He talks about the evangelists. Now, the evangelists, this is a harder one for us to understand because in the churches of Christ, we've often said the preacher is the evangelist. In fact, uh, you know, if you go and you look at most job postings for Church of Christ ministers, you find the word evangelist listed in there. And evangelism is not what I am doing right now. Uh, if, if you're not a member of the church this morning, I hope you will be evangelized in what I'm doing. But my primary goal this morning is to equip and edify the body for the good works that God has prepared us to do. Evangelism is the sharing of the gospel with the intent of conversion, of helping people to experience Christ so that they might come to believe in him and become a member of the body of Christ. One person in a church cannot do the work of evangelism. Now, there are people who can do work of evangelism on their own, but it is not their sole role within the church. There are some churches that have a great evangelistic minister who goes out and does like street corner preaching or sits down with strangers in a coffee shop for the first time and asks them, hey, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I teach you about it today? There are people that have very little social stigma and are not as socially awkward as I am who can make that happen. But evangelism, evangelists, are a particular group of people. I think we have evangelists in our midst this morning, people who are good at approaching people to teach them about the, the gospel of Christ and to bring other people alongside them to learn how to do that. And I think that's why Paul includes this here. If you are a person with an evangelistic bent, your job is to help other people figure out this whole evangelism thing, to have other people walk alongside you as you evangelize. Then he includes shepherds, elders, pastors, uh, depending on your translation. Shepherds, people who will guide. This is a more one-on-one -on -one situation than the teacher. All right, the, the teacher is responsible maybe for a group of people to sit down and walk through what it is that we need to hear. The shepherd oftentimes needs to be the one to go find the one out of the 99 who are missing and bring them back to find the sheep who's wounded, hurting, in need of some guidance, provide them wisdom and counsel and comfort. Now this can be a whole body thing. Sometimes groups of Christians mourn and grieve together. Sometimes groups of Christians experience a, a time of unwellness as a group. Occasionally, 
as Christians, as a body of Christ, as a congregation, as a church, what we end up experiencing together is a need for correction from a shepherd. But oftentimes, the work of a shepherd is very much a one-on-one, one-on-a-family. Maybe it's the, the shepherds together going and counseling someone who is in need of help. But it's a very personal and intimate sort of leadership. Then he talks about teachers. We've got a lot of teachers in the churches of Christ, and I think that's a good thing. Teaching is important. If you teach, I am grateful for you because it means I usually get a quarter off. But sometimes I think we feel as though, I just messed up my mic. Sometimes I think we feel as though uh, the, the primary role that the church serves in ministering to one another is to teach one another. To sit down and walk through 1 Corinthians for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time. I think we've outweighed this list in one direction. I'm not suggesting we stop teaching. I think that that's something we continue doing. Sometimes when we identify a way in which we've done something too much or focused too heavily in one direction, the tendency is to pendulum swing the other direction. You know what? We've had too much teaching in our church. It's time to cancel all classes, and we're going to go out, and we're just going to feed the poor on Sunday morning after our worship time. Well, it would be good for us to go out and feed the poor on Sunday morning after our worship time, but we shouldn't neglect teaching for the sake of that. Instead, maybe we should build up these other areas that are essential to us. Maybe our teaching should focus more on this next part, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. If all of our teaching just leads to us filling our heads with a bunch of knowledge, It's not doing what it's supposed to do. If you walk out on Sunday morning feeling like you have a better understanding of the historical context of uh, the the, uh, teaching on uh, ritual sacrifice in Canaan, and the why, why it is that the Israelites are supposed to respond in a, a way that says, you know, we're rejecting this entirely, It may be good that you have that knowledge in your head and now you can read that passage within context. That's important. But if it doesn't spur you to go and do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us, maybe our teaching is a little ineffective. If you walk away from most classes feeling like, I could probably go write a dissertation on this particular book, but you don't feel as though you need to go love your neighbor more, maybe our teaching is a little ineffective. If you walk out of a class and you say, you know what, I I am now prepared to offer a defense of um, why it is that we don't use instruments on Sunday morning, but you don't go and clothe the naked or house the homeless, maybe our teaching is a little ineffective. If our apostles, our prophets, our evangelists, our shepherds, our teachers aren't building us up to behave in the ways that Christ behaved, to love the world in the way that Christ loved the world, 
to minister to those who are in the greatest need, we are failing to do our chore. But when we do it right, when these roles serve the purpose that they're supposed to serve, when our shepherds and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles are building up the body of Christ, some pretty great things happen. And, and we continue this passage, and what we see is it says that we're not like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine or wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When those people, those guys, do their chores the body takes on the image of Christ. We're built together, built up, equipped, working properly. The greatest evidence, I think, in the church where those guys are doing their chores is that people begin to look more like Christ. And collectively, we look more like Christ. This is what Paul is telling us this morning. Again, back to the very beginning. I don't want to minimize these roles because Paul thinks that they are essential to the church doing the even greater work of being Jesus in the world. These are great works. I'm going to be held accountable for the works that I do as a minister in the church. Uh, scripture tells me that I'm going to be held accountable for my teaching. It's important that I make sure that the things that I teach are correct and sound. Uh, I, I will tell you, I can probably tell you Sean and, and Greg and those who have preached on a regular basis, sometimes as we're preparing sermons, we've sat down and we have sweat bullets over whether or not I'm getting this right. Because it's important work. But if it doesn't build us into the body of Christ if it doesn't make us more like Jesus, if it doesn't cause us to go out and change the world by showing the love of Christ to our neighbors, Paul says something about being just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This morning, I hope I'm not just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I hope that what you're hearing is this. Those of us that are in positions like the ones we've talked about, We want to get it right. Our elders, our ministers, those in here who are evangelists, those who are, are trying to carry on the prophetic legacy of teaching us what it is that we need to hear right now in the context in which we find ourselves. We want to do the job well. And if we're failing in it, if we, if we aren't doing it well, we want to hear about it. We want to be told, hey, remember, you're called to equip us for the good works of ministry. What are those good works we're supposed to be doing? How can you equip us today? 
We want to look like the body of Christ. We want to have every joint in socket. We want to move and work and thrive as a church. And if we're not accomplishing that, we want to know it. Hold us accountable to this task. Make sure that we are marking our chores not done, but did. Did? We did it. We haven't done it, but we did it, right? There we go. Bad English, right? Um, <laughs> we want to do the job, and we want to do it regularly, and we want to do it consistently, and we want to bless the church in having used the gift that God has given us so that others might be equipped to use the gifts that God has given them. There's one last little thought I want to give you here. All of this so that it builds us up in love. That we build ourselves up in love. That as a church, our priority is to love. To minister out of love. If my teaching is unloving, there's a good chance that the church is going to be fairly unloving in the way that they approach their neighbors. If our shepherds are unloving, they're setting a bad example of what it means to be built up in love. If, if our, uh, our teachers and our, our prophets and our apostles and all these individuals in the church don't show love, it's going to be difficult for us to do that as well. We want to make sure whatever it is that we are building up in the name of Christ reflects his love. If you build it up in the image of something else, it's going to be a very, very poor church. And so this morning I want to ask you again, if we're not equipping you appropriately for the acts of service, for the ministry that God has given to the church, hold us accountable to it. If you're not seeing in us love, the kind of love that Christ displays for his apostles when they're needing a little bit of correction or rebuke, if you're not seeing us carry out our chores in the way that reflects the, the image of Christ, hold us accountable for it. Sometimes even those who teach need to be called into correction. But this is just one group of people. The list doesn't end here. See, the beautiful thing about Scripture is that it's not just one passage. There's a whole book to go to. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some other roles that people in the church played in order to help the church accomplish the ministry that it was called to. The ministry of reconciliation, Paul calls it. And so I want to encourage you, as much as I'm asking you this morning to hold those of us that are in one of those positions accountable, I also want to encourage you to be praying thoughtfully about what role you have been called to in the church about what ministry God intends for you to do, what chore you need to set yourself to to make sure that the whole body functions properly so that we might continue to grow and build ourselves up in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to recognize this morning that you have made each one of us unique, that your spirit empowers each of us with, with different gifts, that you elevate and encourage uh, particular traits and, and uh, particular practices in individuals. And, and oftentimes, Father, you even make us step outside of our comfort zone to do these things. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would work in the hearts of every member that's sitting here this morning, from our elders to our newest 
newest guests. I pray, Father, that your spirit would stir in them a desire to be about the work of the church, to find the chores that show that they're a part of this household, that offer them a sense of belonging and an understanding that they, they are not just a body in a seat, but they are an active participant in the household of God. Father, I pray this morning that you would help those of us that have a responsibility to teach, to edify, to build up, that you would help us to, to feel the sense of responsibility that we have. And I pray that you would help the congregation to continually remind us that we need to be building them up for the works of ministry. Father, I pray this morning that you would guide our, our worship as we continue on. I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are open uh, to your movement in our lives. I pray that we would take on more of the image of Christ so that the world around us might know him and love him and choose him as their Lord and Savior. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if there's a way we can bless or encourage you, if there is maybe a shepherd that needs to talk with you, uh, we want to encourage you to, to reach out, to respond this morning. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I would be happy to visit with you and make sure that the right person uh, sits down to, to teach you, to walk alongside you, to shepherd you. Uh, we're going to continue our worship this time as we stand and sing. <laughs>